Sir, I will live with perseverance in the spirit of Taekwondo. Courtesy for fellow students. Integrity within myself. And to become a black belt leader. Welcome to the ATA Nation Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, sirs and ma'ams, instructors, students, everyone out in ATA Nation, thank you for tuning in. You may notice that the audio is a little different today. We didn't have the uh, regular pre-intro little teaser, Um, and uh, that's all because this is being done on the road. Um, We've had some complications at the Hayden House with my recording area. Um, Our basement is getting completely redone. And uh, so my recording area isn't available. And then um, I'm trying to get things all ready before I headed out of town for leadership camp. And I didn't get it all done. So uh, this recording is coming to you live or live to tape from a a hotel room on my way to uh, leadership camp. But uh, I'm glad to be with you guys, Um, and we have a great episode for you today. I'm not going to spend much time um, on the intro um, because I want to get right to the episode. We have a great interview with um, Mr. Wolf, Jim Wolf from ATA headquarters, and you may not know much about Mr. Wolf, um, but he is a... uh, Uh, A long, long time ATA guy who has had about every job at ATA headquarters. And uh, I I heard him on a Zoom the other day, and he just got so many great stories from headquarters and and just his perspective, and and especially of Eternal Grandmaster. So I I wanted to interview him, and um, he... uh, he, he told me some great stories and and mentioned that I you know could cut and paste and stuff um, some of the interview but I decided to just go with it uh, straight through because I, I just think um, what he has to say is so great um, uh, and, and for those of you guys who have have met mr. wolf or know of uh, his longtime history in the ATA I think you'll really appreciate it um, and if not hopefully you get some um, neat stories and some neat histories from this. So um, let's get right to our interview and then uh, we'll be out. Special guest interview. ATA Nation, we are super excited to have with us today uh, Mr. Jim Wolf, uh, who is currently um, at uh, WMA, but uh, has had uh, about a billion jobs at ATA headquarters and has been around since uh, um, you know, the dinosaur ages of the ATA. Uh, h- how are you today, it. sir? Uh, I'm doing great. Thanks. Great. Um, can you give us a little uh, history of, first of all, just like how you got involved in the ATA and then uh, kind of some of the roles that you've held over the years um, with ATA? Sure. Uh, I was actually going to school uh, ULR and my brother was taking classes from a guy named Jim Botine in Jacksonville, Arkansas. And uh, as older brothers have to do, I was his Uber at that time. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, the guy that was running the place started talking to me and he goes, Hey, you ever thought about doing martial arts? I said, No, I'm, you know, I'm playing baseball, I'm doing other stuff. And so he got me involved. And I got to tell you, it was uh, kind of, it, it was interesting because that, happenstance uh, meeting really changed my life forever. 
My father was not happy that I dropped out of school to go be in the karate business, which at that time was nothing like it is today. Uh, It wasn't the first time. He was not happy with one of my decisions. But uh, in the end, one of my proudest moments was when we were having uh, the master ceremony at the Verizon Arena, and my mother and father got to see the magnitude of what Grandmaster and the Lee family and the seniors had built. Uh, so it was a proud moment for a young boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was with Botin for quite a while. Uh, we split. And I was in the, the sporting goods business. And then Grandmaster actually sent uh, a couple of people over to kind of talk to me. One of them was a guy named um, Blattner. And he actually helped, I think, actually helped David Lee when he was looking for colleges, um, you know, he kept saying, Grandmaster would like to talk to you. I said, at that point, it was masterly. Because I, I, with Jim, we ended up having about eight schools. Uh, so I was a general manager for his schools. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that was back when they had camps in Little Rock and you had to do duck walks. And mm-hmm. uh, the food was less than good, except for when Master Lamberson's father would bring the barbecue pit out. And uh, we'd all have barbecue together. It was a bonding experience. We actually bonded with snakes and spiders and everything else. But it was quite a, it was quite a, a bonding experience. But from there, along the way, uh, Dale Craig uh, contacted me, and then Grandmaster had me come over. And uh, you still there? Yes, sir. Yes. It, everything disappeared off my screen. Sorry. Oh, no, you're all good, sir. All right. So anyhow, so I I got to, I got, I started working at headquarters in April of 88. Uh, Grandmaster, you know, talked to me. Then he asked to have a meeting with me and my wife. And uh, my wife fell in love with him, as everybody does when they meet Grandmaster. (laughs) And uh, it, it, uh, it, it was just as, as I say, my buddies call me Jimmy, and in the martial arts, we're blessed to have people call us Mr., and he really helped me develop from Jimmy to Mr. Wolf over the years, sometimes with a little clunk on the head, but uh, <laughs> a little coaching, but it's all out of love. So yes, along the way, I, I started because I was, I was running the school up in the front uh, that they had for a long time, and then uh, along the way, I he moved me in because of the role I had with Botine. We we went and worked with school owners and and different things in our schools. So he put me in licensing, and I didn't really know what I was doing. But you know, he said you'll figure it out, kind of. And then <laughs> then I did. Uh, uh, we started ProTech, and uh, so I I kind of got ProTech. He got frustrated with the tournaments at some point. So then I was the tournament chairman. Some of those things I had multiple, I had titles in each area at the same time. I was smart enough to go find people that actually knew what they were doing. Uh, but it was, uh, so all that was good. Along the way, we, I became the chief operating officer, which I'm not sure he even knew what that was, but he, he would laugh and, uh, says, you're the CO something, you know, go fix it. (laughs) So, uh, and then when Grandmaster Inho was performing other duties and traveling as the organization needed for Grandmaster Suno and him and the brothers, after Grandmaster passed, they asked me to do the CEO role and 
I kind of laughed. I said, look, I don't, I don't have the training to do that. And, and really the way it was set up with the uh, grandmaster, the master's council, master Clark, and the master in the group, it really was more like, it's, it's a really nice title. And, um, Mrs. Lee is amazing to work for, but really I was more like a general manager. Mm -hmm. uh, it was, but you know, I got along good with people. So, you know, in a family business, sometimes you need people that, you know, can help talk. So as everybody's got a passion for where they think the organization's going. It, 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 uh, so I was blessed in that role. Well, yeah, I think for uh, many listening to this, um, you know, we've got a lot of uh, younger listeners and they, they probably don't know you at all. And, and so many of our, our high ranks, um, you know, have known you as part of the organization. You know, you're, you're the guy at headquarters that we've known for, for years and years and years, um, kind of a, a jack of all trades. And now you're uh, um, out at uh, WMA doing some awesome things there. Um, you had a lot of time with Eternal Grandmaster working at headquarters. Um, and I know you have a, a billion great stories. Um, uh, but one of the reasons I wanted to get you on was uh, you, you were on a talk recently um, for some licensees and uh, mentioned a, a story or two. And I just I, I know you've got so many good ones that I, I thought we'd have you on to maybe, um, you know, tell a story or two that you have about Eternal Grandmaster. Well, uh, definitely. I mean, uh, you know, I'll sit here as long as you want and the stories won't <laughs> run out. Uh, it's just important starting that uh, I, I didn't have a grandmaster was like a father and every child wanted to be, whether it's a woman or a man, wanted to be his favorite child. And somehow he made us all feel like that. And uh, he 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 just kind of made it magical to work. And uh, people like Master Alomar, uh Grandmaster Alomar, Grandmaster Clark, Grandmaster Sunho were really instrumental in everything before I was ever a part of it. So, you know, I imagine they have some amazing stories, but uh, they were, then they were also instrumental in helping me in my role and working with us. And, and, and Mrs. Lee, honestly, uh, it's, it's been interesting to watch from Grandmaster's perspective to this, and this is a story about Grandmaster is, uh, he never wanted to talk about business. He never talked about money. Uh, he just wanted to talk about people. And, uh, you know, if uh, we hadn't started bringing in real business people, I don't know what we would have done. So the mixture of those two coming together is always kind of fun. But uh, today it's very exciting. I was just telling Chief Master Stoffer that uh, I said, sir, you know, what's so good is Grandmaster, if you read the scrolls of Song Ram, Talked about each new generation, you know, adding to and making it more and not less. And uh, I said, he, he's got to be smiling to see all the things that we overcame, number one, to the passing of him. But number two, getting through COVID and watching the energy between the young instructors. I mean, it's, uh, you know, kind of like America sometimes. You know, when sometimes people don't like each other for whatever reason, but somebody attacks America and all of a sudden everybody's ready to fight Mm -hmm. stand together uh ata people martial artists in general are just amazing people but uh they when i when i saw the communications and i'm not a big facebook guy um but it is it was just so exciting to watch how they shared information and they truly cared about each other being successful and uh you know i know he was smiling watching that so 
Um, yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it was exciting. So, you know, the, the stories the other day, really, Master Coffer and his wife were really great people. And uh, they kind of caught me off guard when they brought up Grandmaster. In fact, Neil, Mr. Morton said, uh, Mr. Wolf, next time, why don't you take a breath when you're talking? <laughs> <laughs> but I got so excited because, you know, it, it's just like, you know, somebody wants to talk about your father. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you want to share that with everybody. But uh, I want to make sure everybody knows I loved him. He loved me. But I'm. I wasn't, I thought I was a special child, but he thought everyone was a special son or daughter. So uh, this this is just my version of what I've witnessed as I was with him. But uh, yes, he, sir. He, uh, you know, one of the stories we talked about uh, the other day was the, the candle. Now, mm-hmm. I, I know for a lot of people that doesn't mean anything, but uh, for a master, you know, it represents a lifetime commitment of sacrifice and sleepless nights and your partner in life kind of questioning, why would you get in the martial arts business? <laughs> you know, you, you get on the other side of it together. So I, I'm asked to be a patient advocate, which I have no clue what that means. And Dr. Michael Ackerman is talking to me about what's going on and a young lady named Denise Ashbaugh. And so I get invited and the first time I go to the the doctor's visit, I'm thinking, well, I'm now I'm going to become a medical doctor, I guess, because I don't know what we're going to do. And he's sitting there, and I said, hey, sir. And I had not seen him in a little bit. And he goes, uh, he goes, uh, sit down. I got something for you. So he pulls out a napkin, and he starts drawing on it. And I'm like, sir, what is that? He goes, pretty much telling me to shut up. But, <laughs> you know, just wait, just wait. So he draws the candle. I don't know how many of the masters or people have seen the candles, but the candle had a, a an instructor's name at that time. It had a dragon, and he wanted to make sure that I did everything I could to make sure that candle would burn through the ceremony as necessary. But when they were finished with the ceremony, they could put it in a box so they'd have something for the rest of their lives to celebrate their accomplishment. And I said, well, sir, this, you know, I understand, but, you know, there's there other stuff we need to talk to. He goes, he basically just told me, he goes, look, my time's short, and uh, but this will go forever. And everybody that sacrifices their life to become a master or senior master or chief master or grandmaster, they need to know how special that is and how much we care about. Them. So uh, even in his illness, he was uh, thinking about the organization. And honestly, that story just carries over to pretty much everything I witnessed working for him for an amazing. I went to work for him in 88 and uh, until he passed in 2000, October 5th, 2000. And uh, it was it was really interesting to see the evolution because everybody thought, you know, we had this grand plan to have a billing company and have a martial arts supply company and uh those things only existed because the instructors were having problems getting anybody to help them. Uh, so it, it, it was really, it, it was really his travel to region to region to region or around the world uh, to see people was it, it just incredible because it wasn't based upon a volume of business. Anybody did. 
uh, he would go see people. We weren't even sure who they were. <laughs> he, but he goes, yeah, I got to go help him. And then he'd come back and uh, his favorite thing to say was, you got to fix them. <laughs> so that was the direction. Go fix them. You know, but it really just meant go help them. You know, uh, so it is, uh, it was a blessing, no doubt. But that, that story kind of exemplifies his thoughts about, uh, you know, the longevity of the ATA and the legacy of the ATA and how these masters and all these instructors, you know, basically he was leaving his life's work to all these people and he wanted to know how much he loved him and appreciated him. Wow, that's, that's, that's it, it's amazing to hear, you know, as, as he's going through, you know, cancer treatments, all these things, that's, that's where his mind was. Um, you, you've been, you know, around, uh, headquarters as we've had, you know, changes, you know, you've been through, you know, all of the presiding grandmasters, um, that feeling, that service, um, that, uh, that eternal grandmaster had, um, you know, we've had people, you know, say, hey, you know, that's not the way we are in the ATA anymore or whatnot. Um, you know, and you mentioned COVID, you know, seeing that and how proud Eternal Grandmaster would be. Do you, through the years, have you seen, you know, that, um, that heart of Eternal Grandmaster continue? Um, is, is it, you know, are we, are we doing a good job of, of continuing his legacy? Look, the, well, are we doing it like he would do it? I can only imagine with social media how he would connect with people. I mean, I've heard stories from instructors overseas that said, Grandmaster called me at midnight or he called me at something in the morning. But when he was doing it, we were a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was easier to stay in touch with everybody. And as it started evolving, you know, without, without you know, we used to have regional directors, regional vice presidents that volunteered their time to try to help people, help their, both their juniors and the people in the region. And he stayed in contact with them all the time. So I think it was a smaller network. You know, if you have a family and you have, you know, 100 people or 200 people, 300 people, that's one thing. When you've got 100,000, you've got, you know, schools around the world, it's hard to have the same connection. And now we're talking about, you know, he passed in 20, we're talking about 22 years ago. Some of these guys that are second, third, and fourth degree black belts, um, they, they, never, they never saw any of that. But mm-hmm. I, would say, I would say, you know, Grandmaster Suno had the toughest role in replacing Grandmaster and coming into that time. Now, this is a guy that loaded his family up and moved to Little Rock immediately, no questions, to take care of the organization and what they'd spent their life building. So uh, it, it and he has, if you've been around Grandmaster Suno very much, he is, uh, he's got such a great heart and such a great mannerism and way about him. Uh, so I would say, yes, it's still out there. But I think with the information age, social media and everything else, all you hear is hate and, <laughs> and everything. Now you've got school owners that, you know, they're going home and, you know, they, they survived covid uh, and the and the instructors that survived COVID, sir, uh, you know, I know I know whenever they get to heaven or wherever they're going, they see Grandmaster, he's going to thank them and hug them for fighting and battling to keep it going. But he'll be more upset about any of those that didn't make it because mm. he he wanted he truly believed that martial arts had magic 
It had the things that you will always use in your life, respect, courtesy, discipline, perseverance, and his saying, uh, today not possible, tomorrow possible. Uh, he lived it. I mean, uh, we we hired, a, one time we had, hired a uh, finance officer. First time we had one. I don't even know why we did. We didn't have that much money. But, <laughs> but she, she came into the meeting and he, he started talking about all the things he wanted us to do. And we we were like listening and she pipes up and she goes, sir, you don't have the money for that. He goes, okay, you don't get to come to any more of my meetings, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> so, because he, he, he never came here for the money. He had nothing when he got here. So, but he believed maybe today we can't do it, but it's so important to do. I'm going to find the people and we're going to make it happen. And, you know, he connected with, you know, President Clinton when he was governor. Uh, you know, the, you know, we, he, had a, he had an advisory council, which a lot of people probably don't won't remember. But he had somebody that knew something about computers. Tim O'Brien, who was instrumental in starting the H.U. Lee Foundation. Uh, a professor that was trying to help us get the, the, the curriculum laid out. I mean, he, he attracted uh, Pascal Mavi, who was uh, uh, a great friend and helped do some things that helped build the organization. It was just, he attracted people. I mean, at one time we had on the board, we had uh, Secretary of State, uh, who was also a mayor, a different mayor, uh, uh, person in construction, all people that he met that just fell in love with him. You know, Linus Reigns was a general manager of the Peabody. She's been such a great friend and asset to Mrs. Lee and the company. But they all became infatuated with his vision and his dream. And it was so contagious that people would just go, uh, hey, Mr. Wolf, tell me whatever whatever we can do to help. Because, it, you know, his, his vision was helping children and helping adults be better people, you know. So it was... Uh, you know, you've met people like that. And uh, it is when you get around somebody and you know there's nothing fake about them and their only drive is to help people, uh, it is uh, it's exciting. So I know I, I took the long way around the barn on that, but I'm telling you that it's a different world. And uh, it is it's tough. But I, I would say. That fundamentally, yes, that heartbeat is still there. You know, we used to laugh and say, well, there was there was now the Founders Council, I think at the time had eight. And uh, it was we were saying, how how could eight not connect like one guy could? (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, he counted on those people to take care of areas, Uh, you know, people like uh, uh, I'll tell you this story. Whether you want to use it or not, I don't know. But I got a call from him uh, at night. It was the first whisper of anything was going on with the cancer. Oh, and, uh, and he didn't even tell me what it was. He just called me. And, and he never called me late at night unless it was like an emergency. So he called me. He goes, hey, Mr. Wolf, how you doing? I was like, I'm good, sir. And he was kind of hemming around, which is not his way. Uh, he goes, if I'm not here, do you think the ATA will be okay? I said, "Were well, you going on vacation?" I mean, I'm not sure what you're asking. <laughs> uh, I said, "You know, where are you at?" He goes, "Ah, oh, you know, 
I'll be back in a couple of days and, you know, we can set and talk. And still at that time, he didn't tell me what was going on. But he had been up with Dr. Ackerman and uh, found out he had cancer and how how it was uh, really just probably at that time too too far gone. I, I don't know. But uh, I think he knew. Uh, Dr. Ackerman, if you've ever spent any time with him, is uh, just like Master Jagger and all, Grandmaster Jagger and all the people up in that area. Okaboji, that camp up there, was one of his favorite places. And all I can tell you about it is he he wouldn't sleep good up there. But if you happen to say, uh, sir, I'm not tired, you would be up in the cold working out. <laughs> he thought he thought that's what people did when they got somewhere and were bored was they worked out. So, uh, but you know, uh, he he loved he loved everyone, but he truly loved Master Jagger. Grandmaster Jagger, I apologize. I don't add those titles like I should. But uh, because he had he had the heart uh, mm-hmm. of uh, Grandmaster. He just loves everybody, everything. And those were all clubs back then. Interestingly, uh, you know, people talk about, well, I don't have a big school or I don't have this or the ATA doesn't care about me. Understand that some of the best leaders in the organization came from clubs. Dr. Ackerman had a club. And... Uh, and I'm glad we're doing this because if you can get this on there, I was asked, I was honored and asked by Master uh, Jagger to to introduce, uh, say some words about Dr. Ackerman when he received his mastership. And uh, I mean, everybody knows my daughter passed, and the first time I'd been in the uh, in the, the state house in that foyer where we do all the ceremonies. And he gave me this list of things, and I was looking at it. This guy is one of the top doctors in the world. And he thinks that what we do in ATA is so important, he makes time for it. Mm-hmm. He just didn't make time for it. He was passionate and did so much about it. So uh, I owe him a big apology. He said I did fine. But, uh, you know, he, 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 was, he just is a reminder of how, amazing people and you probably have them in your school and most instructors have them in their schools. Parents are people that do so much to help with a tournament, a testing, answer the phone. And they just, yeah. they, they just love it. And, I, I thought you did. I thought you did an amazing job there. Um, I, I actually um, was getting senior master that year um, that you, uh, they that Dr. Acker went through his mastership thing. And uh, I had not heard the story. I had not, um, you know, really known of, of Dr. Acker. And uh, I, I need to contact him and get him on the show. Cause that was uh, uh, an awesome, that, an awesome thing. I'm going to tell you, he, he, and he is so humble. So as I'm reading this sheet, Master Jagger gives me grief. Cause he goes, I didn't mean for you to read every line. <laughs> I, I said, sir, the more I read it, I was like, how does this guy, I mean, you saw Dr. Ackerman crying mm-hmm. because he got mad. That's how much he loved the ATA, loved Grandmaster, and loved the organization. Being recognized around the world as one of the top doctors, but getting this was, a, I think it was a season in his life that he just will always cherish. And uh, it, he had one of the, he had the biggest club we had in the organization for a long time. But uh, he is, uh, he is definitely a jewel. Uh, yeah, we're, we're blessed to have him. 
when uh, when Grandmaster called you and and asked about uh, if if you thought the the organization would how it would do, what 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 did you say? What was your answer? I told you what I said. Well, you going on vacation? Well, <laughs> yeah, Look, Grandmaster. Grandmaster always seemed bulletproof and invisible. Mm-hmm. Like it didn't matter. He truly lived the today, not possible, tomorrow possible. We never thought about him passing. Uh-huh. We figured he'd be burying all of us. So, yeah. so I it, even at that time, I, it was a little odd, but I never considered it was anything like it turned out to be. Uh-huh. So, you know, once he started talking to me after a lot of tears and mm. talk and him hugging me and then me crying more and him hugging me, uh, you know, when we had to talk about the reality of where we was going and, you know, he, we were blessed. If he, if he wasn't in headquarters every day, he called. He wanted to know what was happening. Uh, and so, so once we got to the details of it, uh, it was, it, you know, it, it was extremely painful, actually. I went from uh, I went from about uh, let me see two hundred pounds to three hundred pounds in a year because I battled the the thought of him not being there mm-hmm. and uh, and actually Doctor Ackerman was kind enough to let me fly up there because I, I got this terrible cough and and I think it was just it was more mental than anything that just like yeah. this is the one thing in my life I can always count on a person that changed my life and changed you know, millions of lives. And if something could happen to him, what about the rest of us? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so it was, uh, it was an interesting, it was a, I'm sorry if I went off on that, but it is, it is, it's just a passion that he had for so many people that is magical. Well, it's, it's been 22 years later and you are still, um, you know, working hard there at, at ATA headquarters. Uh, what, what keeps you what keeps you motivated what keeps you around and uh you know doing the work of uh serving all the the licensees out there well first of all i always tease and i say they say mr wolf how come you've been there so long i said well I, number one i knew if my last name wasn't lee i was temporary so <laughs> every every day i went to work and uh i never took it for granted the other thing was there was so many great things going on uh, you know, we, uh, but one, about the time I got there is when we started Karate for Kids. Then we had ProTech. Uh, all the programs started to evolve. I mean, it was just a kind of a magical evolution in the organization. You know, nobody liked Karate for Kids at the time. Actually, <laughs> I told Grandmaster, I said, sir, I don't know if I'm a very good salesman or not. I've talked to a couple of people, and uh, they don't think much of it. So he actually said, you're going with me. And we went and did like little dog and pony shows and to tell the people, look, uh, and anybody that knows him, he would never put a program out there for him to make a dollar and, and the instructors not to make $10. So, uh, but I think with him standing there and they trusted him so much that they took a chance. And we set the program up back then where, you know, if it didn't work for you, you got your money back. And, and we, and we didn't hardly charge anything in. We, you know, we did need something because we could barely keep the lights on back then. But it was, uh, it was, it was really watching those kind of things. Uh, people like, you know, uh, Grandmaster Chuck Norris. Uh, my daughter answered the phone during the summer, and uh, you know, he's he's wanting to see Grandmaster, and 
you know, she, he doesn't want to see him. So then they call me and they go, hey, you know, we want to see Grandmaster. I said, sir, respectfully, I don't think he wants anybody to see him right now. He wants to remember you as he was. He wants you to remember him as he was. Uh-huh. If you've been in the if you've been in the museum, there's a letter from Grandmaster Norse to Grandmaster. Mm-hmm. And it talks about, you know, their time together and uh, how they both, you know, I forget one of the phrases at the end, but it, hopefully we can both stand together one day and look down and say we did good. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yes, sir. It, uh, it, and he also, I got like I said, I got to meet interesting people. This is a this is a funny story. You you might you're gonna have to cut some of this out, I'm sure. But <laughs> every year when we did the world championships, the governor would, you know, proclaim it ATA Day, and Grandmaster would go up there and talk. And when then Governor Clinton was in office. Uh, they became really close. They, you know, they, from the standpoint of he loved what Grandmaster was doing, not only for the people in the world, but also for the city of Little Rock and the state, because our convention was the biggest one minus Walmart. And uh, so we're up there and we're waiting and Grandmaster and uh, Governor Clinton go to talk. And uh, the next thing I know, I got a member of Governor Clinton's staff saying, uh, Grandmaster wants to see you. I said, well, where are they at? He go, over in that room. Well, that room was like a closet. It was, I don't know if it was four by four by four, whatever. It wasn't very big. So you've got Governor Clinton standing here and Grandmaster standing here. And as soon as I walked in, the governor says, uh, Jim, you need to tell him I'm not breaking a board with my foot. <laughs> And Grandmaster's giving him grief, saying, you know, I, you know, come on, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. And the governor's going, no, that's not happening. <laughs> this notice out, all these press people were sitting there waiting to see the governor because he had broken with his hand before with a knife-hand strike. But now mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, you know, it, it was it was just comical because they were both, they didn't want to offend each other. So I'm standing here and believe we're all touching almost. And the governor's saying, just tell him. And the grandmaster's saying, oh, tell him it's fine. I'm like, <laughs> it, it, it was magical. By the way, he never, he didn't do the kick. He did the strike, but he was uh, an amazing advocate for the organization when he was here. And then he, then he becomes president. You know, you know, everybody's got opinions on that. But I can tell you, as far as the organization goes, uh, he was a great friend. Uh, and And other things like that, sir, that, Things that there's no way a, a young boy from Arkansas is going to get an opportunity to see and meet these people. Uh, so it, it was uh, it was exciting. There was always something new. Uh, I was addicted to helping people. My mother was extremely gifted at that. We had nothing, but she thought, you know, half of nothing for somebody else was a lot. So Grandmaster always just his whole deal was to help people. And uh, so you always felt good about what you were doing. Uh, and then you get to meet people and go along the way, you know, uh, watching watching him with uh, Grandmaster Olimar, you know, I always tease. I, I think, he, you know, he, Grandmaster Olimar, Grandmaster Suno, and Grandmaster Clark were like the elite people with him. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, it's interesting. But he saw as a leader, you know, you want to try to get people in the right position. And he had a skill. He, he realized everyone's strength and a skill set. Mine was communicating and you know trying to get people to talk. You know, 
Master Allemeyer, I don't know how many schools Grandmaster Allemeyer went to and helped build the school, putting up paneling or, or doing whatever. He was he would go anywhere, anytime. And when you listen to their conversations, you're talking about pure love. Mm-hmm. And uh, Grandmaster Clark was the same thing, but Grandmaster Clark was kind of like the guy always bringing the programs. And and it was it was kind of funny because sometimes they were ahead of their time. Uh, so they each had their place. And Grandmaster Suno, people should remember, if you're worried about showing respect to your senior, his brother's the Grandmaster. Grandmaster Suno is second in command of this organization. He would run to get the door for his brother. He would carry his brother's suitcase. He was such a living example of a junior. And uh, I don't know, the, the, those guys did so many things that were the true support of building foundation. And then people out in the organization that I got to meet were just, I mean, they're just amazing people. So, you know, whether it was the West Coast or wherever, the seniors were just, and they were so passionate about the ATA. You you listen to people talk about the ATA, sir, they think it's theirs. (laughs) You know, they talk about it like, you know, they own it. And uh, yes, they're sir. passionate about whatever resents. You try to change something when Grandmaster, uh, you know, introduced the song on forms, you know, and I don't think any of them particularly cared about it. But over time, they they all absorbed it. So it is. Uh, anyhow, we, we've been blessed with uh, a lot of amazing people. Yes, so, sir. And watching him deal with them all indifferently. Uh, he knew, like you know, with your children, which ones to kind of get on to, which ones to hug, which ones to, to give a little direction to. Uh, but it is uh, it's fun to watch. And now with Grandmaster MK, you were talking about the heart. We call him the Mother Teresa of the ATA. <laughs> <laughs> That's that is a great a, a great analogy. He loves. He truly loves everybody. And uh, he is uh, his compassion for anybody that sits and talk to him. I watched him at, uh, at when we did the fall nationals last year yeah. and uh, he was going through his training with Grandmaster Sono and the group. And I watched him with people. He never, in fact, none of the brothers that served in that role uh, ever acted like it was an inconvenience to talk with people or to take a picture or anything like they didn't have time for it. Uh-huh. Their capacity, I don't think they ever appreciated their celebrity and how magical the Lee family is, uh-huh. has been. So uh, it is, uh, he, he, he is going to be a great heartbeat for this organization for a while. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for sure. And, and uh, well, I, I want to thank you uh, first for, for your time today, but uh, more importantly for, um, you know, being there uh you know, obviously, you know, it's been 22 years since Eternal Grandmaster passed away, but uh, it's people like you uh, at, at headquarters um, who are continuing to help us all keep that um, spirit alive, keep that the, the, the heart of the ATA, um, you know, and especially as we move from, you know, kind of the, the founding generation to the, the next generation. Um, you know, your service uh, has been invaluable to us. So uh, I really want to want to thank you for that. I do appreciate that, sir. Let me just add one more thing. Certainly. Uh, the, uh, the evolution of the organization 
and the people that have taken over, you know, whether it's Master Stevens in tournaments or, you know, uh, Master Skiles now for training, uh, you know, each generation is making it better. But the decision uh, by Mrs. Lee uh, to to focus on the business part, she knew she didn't, you know, the martial arts was Grandmaster Suno in that deal, but to try to bring in people. And we've had some really great people come through. You know, Master Spencer came through. Each one, each one made something better about the organization. And, uh, and Mr. Morton coming in, you know, he, uh, when he interviewed me for when he first got here and he said something about, uh, WMA, I said, sir, I'm only over there cause I get along with everybody. Uh, <laughs> I understand the martial arts business and I'm learning. I said, I probably got a kindergarten education in, uh, martial arts supplies, but I have a master's in the martial arts business. Uh, and he had the he had the knowledge uh, of the products and stuff. You know, his passion is just another person that came in and made things better. Uh, you know, the, it was it's been kind of exciting to watch as you get older. You want to make sure one day when you're not here, you're looking down and you're going, man, look at look at what it was. And now look at what it is. And, and it's exciting. So. uh you know, to all the people that have helped make it possible, plus the young people that are critical to this organization. Uh, he had the he had he understood social media, and he he was willing to go region to region and listen to people complain, uh-huh. uh, which is not that much fun. <laughs> no, certainly not. <laughs> but he never came back one time complaining about them. It's like there's things we got to fix. We got to make things better. So having the the martial arts side which was the way Grandmaster originally wanted set up is you'd have a business council, you'd have the master's council and they work together under a board. It was, uh, it, it's been fun to see it evolve. Now, was there a little pushing and shoving here or there? Yeah, but everybody's trying to get their feet on the ground. But I, mm-hmm. I truly believe everybody we have is trying to take care of the school owners, take care of the club owners and the students, especially that they feel that they're a part of something that will change their lives. And we appreciate them being a part of it. Yes, sir. Well, we appreciate you being a part of it, sir. Um, uh, we uh, will we'll have to get you back on another time for more stories because I could sit and listen to them forever. Um, but, uh, hey, you know, no. we, we probably shouldn't shouldn't keep the people all day long. But, uh, again, no, well, I appreciate oh, your time. Good luck to you cutting some of that down. You know, Neil, <laughs> Neil started laughing. He goes, I'm not worried about you talking. I'm just worried about when you're going to stop talking. <laughs> Especially my grandmaster. Yes, sir. Well, no, no worries. Thanks for all you're doing, sir. Uh, Thank you. you. All these things that have popped up, the the podcast, the the ATA forward. I mean, again, those are things that really, really at the right time, really kind of connected all of our folks. So I know you got other things to do with your life, but thank you for making that happen. Hey, we're, we're happy, uh, happy to uh, continue, um, you know, spreading the uh, today not possible, tomorrow possible dream of uh, grandmasters. Bingo. That's great. Well, ATA Nation, um, we wanted to, to wrap this up real quick. I know we went a little long. Uh, Mr. Wolf is, uh, has a lot of stories, um, a lot of information, and uh, loves to share it. And so we're gonna we're gonna 
wrap this episode here. I've got a lot to talk to you guys about um, with uh, nationals and leadership camp and just with some great interviews coming up. But, uh, you know, it's it's really late where I am right now. And uh, I got to get on the road again in the morning. And so uh, I hope you, ATA Nation, are out there taking action. Thanks for listening to another episode of the ATA Nation podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share with your ATA family. And guys, it's it's kind of a miracle this episode got made at all. But I missed one last week because of our recording issues in the the basement, and I just didn't want to didn't want to leave you guys hanging again. So uh, let me know what you thought of the episode. DM me on the Instagrams ATA Nation Podcast. Talk to you soon.